All right. How you guys doing? Feeling good? All right. Well, welcome to Genesis. Glad you guys made it out tonight. It's exciting to be here, and uh, Genesis is just makes my Tuesdays so awesome, and so I'm happy to be here. I'm excited for what God's got in store tonight. I was already on the schedule to speak tonight, which worked out well. If you didn't notice, Kevin and Christina aren't here tonight. They actually they ha- uh, had to go back to Tulsa for a few days. They had a death in the family, and so Kevin had to go and do the funeral service and things like that, and so they are on their way back to Charleston, and so Make sure you're lifting them up in your prayers for safe travel and for the family and things like that. So they're on their way back, uh, but that works out well uh, because I was already on the schedule, so no stress there. But as you know, Christmas just passed, right? You guys like Christmas? Christmas just passed, as you know, and I hope that it was a great one for you. I, for one, had a very interesting Christmas. And the reason I had a very interesting Christmas is because I spent Christmas Eve in the ER. So I'm laughing because it's kind of lame, but basically what happened, I got this stomach flu, and I was throwing up so much that I got severely dehydrated, and because it was Christmas Eve, nothing was open, and so no, like, health first or things like that, so I had to go to the ER to get an IV. I was just in really, really bad shape, and basically what we do on Christmas is that on Christmas Eve, I spend, you know, we spend time with my dad's side of the family, and then on Christmas Day, we spent time with my mom's side of the family. And so this just threw a loop in everything. And I called my mom and I was like, hey, you know, you, you can just do it without me. I don't have to be there. Y'all just, you know, do your thing and I'll catch up with you later. And she was like, no, no, we can't, can't have Christmas without you. You know, it wouldn't be the same. And so I really appreciated that. But how terrible would it have been if she would have been like, oh, well, okay, so I'm sorry you're sick, but if you could just drop off the gifts you got me. And just, you can just take off. You don't, I know you're sick. You don't have to stay or anything. Just come drop the gifts off and we'll be good. No, that would be terrible. No one would say that in that situation, right? The idea of placing gift above giver sounds crazy in, in your mind, right? It sounds absurd. It sounds ludicrous. It sounds like something we would never do. But for some reason, we often see that idea come to fruition in our relationship with God. And so oftentimes in our life, we, we tend to start to put creation above creator and gift above giver. And in Christianity, we hear the word idolatry a lot, right? That word idolatry even sounds intimidating and condemning. And so it's not, like, it's not something we even like to think about. It's easy to think to ourselves, and I know because I do this as well. It's like, oh, that's not me. That's, that's not how I am. But oftentimes, our desires and our priorities often communicate something different. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, is this thought of something versus someone. So something versus someone. One And specifically that someone being God. And I want to shed some light on what the Word of God says about it, specifically from the book of Proverbs. And so this is week three of our series, The Year of Wisdom, which is centered on the book of Proverbs. And what I love about Proverbs is that it's a book of wisdom straight from the source. It's written by a guy named Solomon, who was king of Israel. And one day God came to him and he said, Solomon, you can have whatever you want. Just say the word. Just ha- you can have whatever you want. And so, I mean, could you imagine the God of the universe asking you that question, right? Like the omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful God saying, you know, you can have whatever you want. Just, just ask me. What would you ask for? Maybe a spouse, maybe a new car, maybe a lot of money, maybe fame. But when Solomon got asked this question, he said, give me wisdom. 
Give me wisdom. So God granted him wisdom, and he, he became known as the wisest man to ever live. And it's, it's easy to think, like, man, it would be so nice to be that wise and to have all of that wisdom. I wonder what that's like. And if that's you here tonight, if you're wondering that, take heart because you wrote it all down and called it Proverbs. And so Proverbs is, is God-given, God-inspired wisdom. And it's not just a bunch of sentences you would find inside a fortune cookie, okay? It's God-inspired, God-given wisdom. And if you read through Proverbs, which we've been encouraging you to do this month, you'll see that the first nine chapters of Proverbs is him basically just saying the same thing over and over again, just in different ways. He's saying wisdom is important. Wisdom is important. Wisdom is important. And then starting in chapter 10, it says the Proverbs of Solomon, and then he just starts dropping all the wisdom. And so if God values wisdom, so should we. So with that said, let's read our proverb for tonight. This is Proverbs 15, verse 16 through 17. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to flip there with me. This is Proverbs 15. While you're turning there, I'll continue really quick in Solomon's story. Uh, His answer actually impressed God so much that God told him, not only am I going to give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you wealth and honor and power and all these other things as well. And so I did some research and found that Solomon's net worth was at least $38 billion. So at like its smallest was $38 billion. That number excluded all the trade that he did and the interactions with Queen of Sheba and all that kind of stuff. If you want to read his stories in 1 Kings 1 through 11, all of Solomon's stories, so if you're interested in that. Um, but to put that in perspective, the net worth of Steve Jobs when he died was $31 billion. So the dude had a lot of money. Okay, so let's read Proverbs 15, 16 through 17. If you don't have your Bible, It'll be on the screen. This is what it says. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. I'll read that one more time. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. So in other words, it's saying that it's better to have a little bit of money or a little bit of possessions and have the fear of the Lord in your life than to have great treasure and great wealth and not have God in your life. And so what's being said here is the main piece of wisdom that I want to talk about tonight, and it's this. A little with God is better than a lot without God. A little with God is better than a lot without him. And it goes on to say that a dinner of herbs where there is love, is better than a fattened ox where there is hate. And so in other words, a measly, dressingless salad in good company is better than a nice, juicy steak where everybody's just fighting with each other and arguing and not getting along. And we know this to be true because the holidays just came. (laughs) And, you know, good company, it doesn't matter. Like, you can be eating whatever if you're in good company, and it's great. And so the reason I love this verse so much is because I used to say something like this to Emily a lot. And guys, take notes. This is awesome, okay? It's not quite Hallmark card material, but the cinnamon is there, and it's great, okay? And this is what what I would say. I'd rather eat cereal with you than eat steak alone. I'd rather eat cereal with you than eat steak alone. And one time I said this in, in, to Emily uh, in front of Ryan. And, and Ryan, you know, he, he's grown up with us, and so he, you know, he can do this, and it's funny. But 
<laughs> Basically, I said this. I was like, hey, girl, you know, I'd rather eat cereal with you than eat steak alone. And he goes, have you ever had steak? I mean, do you realize, like, how good steak is? Are you sure about that? And so anyway, basically what all of this is saying is that being with good people, good company, and people that you love overrides the material things in front of you. Why? Because having a little with someone you love is better than having a lot without that person that you love. And even more so, this is true for our relationship with God. A little with God is better than a lot without him. And so many of you in here tonight are in college, and your main goal is to graduate, make a lot of money, have a comfortable life, glorify the American dream, and just, just be awesome and just do all these cool things. But in doing so, you've wandered away from God. And you think, what I would give to just make a lot of money, what I would give to just have a nice car and a nice house one day. But in doing so, you've lost God along the way. Many of you in here tonight are not in college, and you're in the workforce, and you're young professionals, and you think, man, what I would give to make a lot of money, what I would give to just be able to get a, a car that runs, or get, a, a get out of this, this apartment, or get a house that doesn't have to get fixed up all the time, and you, what, what, would it, what would it take for me not to live paycheck to paycheck? This is the thoughts that run through our mind, and, and you're just tired from carrying around the burden of making ends meet. And in doing so, you've lost faith in God to provide. And you've given up on it. Because according to the world standards, if you don't make a lot of money and have a comfortable life, then you're a failure. But according to the word of God, that's not true. According to the word of God, that's not true. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Even if your bills are paid, even if you have a bloated 401k and you retire at 50 and you move to Florida and you play golf every day, if you missed God somewhere along that process, you've missed everything. You've missed everything. If you, if you decided to, to leave God in high school, if you decided to leave God at your parents' house when you moved out, if you decided to leave God on a Sunday morning or at a summer camp, and you've chosen to pursue this world, you will find out one day that it does not satisfy. It is a vain pursuit. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's death painted pretty by an enemy that wants to destroy you. And the thing is, this should take the weight off your shoulders a little bit tonight. That life's not all about having a comfortable life. Work hard. Do your best. Be financially smart. Enjoy God's gifts, but don't let your pursuit of a comfortable life cause you to leave God behind. Don't let your desire of something, you fill in the blank, outweigh your desire for a relationship with God. If you didn't know, Solomon actually wrote a different, another book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes. And so he wrote it in his old age, and in chapter 1, he says that he has done and seen all that this world has to offer but at the end, he considered it all a vain pursuit, and he called it chasing the wind. And even Solomon, a king and a billionaire, saw that everything we could, I mean, he had everything we could even dream of having, and he still found it meaningless. Why? Because the treasure that is having a relationship with God is greater than any treasure you can find in the world. 
I'd rather eat a dinner of herbs with my soul satisfying God than eat a fattened ox and a nice juicy steak that's just gonna leave me hungry later. God has called us to live a lifestyle of putting the someone above the something. He's called us to a lifestyle of putting the someone above the something. So with that said, let me ask you a question tonight. Have we replaced our pursuit of God with the pursuit of stuff? Have we replaced our pursuit of God with the pursuit of stuff? And let me follow with this. Have we replaced the someone with the something? Have we replaced the someone with the something? I want to share a story with you tonight that brings this proverb to life. And it's found in the book of Acts. And so I'd love for you to turn there with me. The book of Acts comes after the four gospel accounts, and it tells us the story of how the early church began after the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. And so there are some incredible moments in the book of Acts, including, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit being introduced and Saul's conversion to Paul. And tonight we're going to look at a story early on in the book of Acts that takes place shortly after the day of Pentecost, where we see the Holy Spirit fall and the early church being formed. So we'll be in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 is going to be on the screen. This is verses 1 through 4. We start out the story. This is what it says. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. He asked them for money. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Look at us. So we see Peter and John. They're walking up to the temple for an afternoon prayer service, and they see this crippled man being carried and laid at the gate before the temple. And the crippled man, he was accustomed to doing this. It said that he goes there daily to ask people for money when they pass by. And so Peter and John, they happen to be passing by this man, and the, the crippled man, he speaks up, and he's like, hey, could could you borrow, could, could you just spare some change? I'm homeless, I'm jobless, I'm crippled. I could just use some help. Would you just give me some money? And I love Peter's reaction. He says in verse four, he says, look at us, look at us. And growing up hearing that from your mom, you know that she meant business, but she was like, look at me when I'm talking to you. Peter says, look at me. He was serious. Let's keep reading and see what happens next. This is verse five. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So it says in verse 5, the man looks at them, expecting to receive something from them. This man is awaiting money. He's awaiting something material that they're going to give him. So what does Peter say? Let's keep reading. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So Peter tells him, he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up 
and walk. And they reach down and they help the man up and his feet and his ankles are strengthened and he starts jumping up and down and praising God. And then he ends up in the temple and all the people that just walked past him recognized him as who he was and like, hey, that's that crippled man. He's all of a sudden healed and he's running around praising God. This is amazing. And I love this story for tonight because what you don't see in this story is this man getting healed, jumping up, running around, praising God, and then looking back at Peter and John and saying, I could really use the money though. You don't see that. You don't see that at all. He's not asking for the money anymore. You see a man that is still homeless, still jobless, but the thing was, he was no longer hopeless. He was no longer hopeless. He looked at Peter and John expecting to receive something, and instead he received someone. He looked at Peter and John expecting to receive something, and instead he received someone. A little with God is better than a lot without him. And for this man, being broke but able to walk was better than having a few coins and still being crippled. And I love when Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I don't have any money. I don't have any money. I don't have any money either, man. I'm broke too, but I'll give you what I do have, and he's all I got, and his name's Jesus. See, Peter, he had little in his pocket, but he had a lot in his heart. And when this formerly crippled man was overwhelmed by the goodness and grace of God, when he was healed and made new again by Jesus, the money and the material things didn't mean anything to him. Compared to God's presence, material things, they're, they're worthless And they're meaningless. And you can see so clearly in this verse when the man's desire of money disappeared. It happened after an encounter with the living God. He started to value God more than he valued material things. And when you experience the fulfillment that God offers, the material things of this world just take a back seat. And the fulfillment that God can give is a direct result of the cross. So this has been a problem since the beginning. Ever since God created the earth and Adam and Eve were walking around naked without any shame in the garden and Eve decided to reach up and grab the fruit and take a bite, ever since that moment, man has been wanting more things and less God. And ever since the fall of man, there's been this God-shaped hole in our hearts. And throughout the Old Testament, if you read through it, you'll see countless times that people try to to fulfill themselves with things other than God. And those, those attempts, they obviously, they, they fall short, and they're left to do nothing but look forward to the one day that God has been promising, that he's going to make everything right and set everything right again. Tonight, maybe you've been trying to fill that emptiness you feel with things other than God. Maybe you tried to fill it with relationships. Maybe you tried to fill it with popularity. Maybe you've tried to fill it with possessions or social media or success. And tonight, we can all be humbled and eternally grateful that when we try to fill that God-shaped hole in our heart with things other than God, we don't have to hope for one day. We don't have to hope for one day. We can instead thank God that he, out of his perfect love, provided a solution. And he did so by sending his son to earth. He was born of a virgin. 
And he lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. And he died a death that we should have died. And then three days later, when all didn't, everything didn't make sense and all seemed lost, he defeated death. And he rose again. And then he ascended into heaven. And he's going to come back the same way that he left to wipe away every tear. To take away death. To take away pain and crying and grief. And this sacrifice and defeat of death, it put us in right standing with God and allowed us to experience his presence and fulfillment. And when we try to save ourselves with something, God reminds us that he's already saved us with someone. When we try so hard to try to save ourselves with the things of this world, God reminds us he's already saved us with someone. And his name is Jesus. He's the one I want to put above my possessions. He's the one that I want healing me when I'm crippled. He is the one I want fulfilling me when I'm empty. He is the one that I want to share a dinner of herbs with. Jesus is the only solution to the God-shaped hole in your heart. And just as Peter said, look at us, when the crippled man wanted money, Jesus says, look at me, look at me when we want fulfillment. When we try to fill our emptiness with relationships, Jesus says, look at me. When we try to fill it with popularity or possessions, Jesus says, look at me, look at me. When we try to fill it with worldly success or other things like social media, Jesus says, don't look at that, look at me, look at me. And if, because he's the only one that can fill the emptiness that you feel. And the thing is, and I love this, if Peter and John would have just, just agreed to just toss the guy some coins, the thing is, he would still be there begging the next day. Because that's what he did every day. He'd still be right back at the gate of the temple asking for money. But instead, they gave him healing in the name of Jesus. And if God would have just granted our desires for all of the some things that we desire, we'd be right back begging for more the next day. If God just threw us coins when we asked for them, we'd be right back begging the next day. Instead, he granted our deepest need for a someone. Instead, he reached down, picked us up, and truly fulfilled our emptiness. And I encourage you with this tonight. Jesus is saying, look at me and rise up. I want to fill that hole in your heart. Let me ask you this tonight. Do you want the coins or do you want the Savior? Do you want the coins or do you want the Savior? As we respond tonight, I encourage you to set yourself at the foot of the cross. We didn't measure up. Jesus instead measured up for us. And when we constantly try and fail to fill the hole in our heart with the desire for money, for possessions, or for a comfortable life, Jesus is telling us, look at me. Look at me. Because he's the only one able to provide what we're looking for. I encourage you tonight to let go of the burden that you're feeling. Let go of the burden that you have of being successful in the eyes of the world. Let go of the vain pursuits and the empty desires that you may have. 
because you don't want to finally get to where you thought you wanted to be in life and then realize you left God somewhere along the way. A little with God is better than a lot without him. And when we try to save ourselves with something, God reminds us that he's already saved us, but with someone. So tonight, look to the cross. Respond to Jesus when he's saying, look at me. Look to the cross tonight. Look to Jesus. Let's pray.